So this is week number seven and as of last week we have accumulated four hours of material working through the book of Psalms. Let's begin if we may in First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 16, like verse 9. Sing unto him, positive. Sing psalms unto him, positive. Talk ye of all his wondrous works, positive. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. I like that. Go to Luke chapter 20. If you are a saved person, you have something to be happy about, something to be joyful about. You can laugh. You can enjoy a joke or two. Contrast that to somebody who isn't saved. What can they rejoice over? What can they have a laugh about? They are many times moments from eternal death. Luke chapter 20. Luke 20. Uh, 40... Two, and David himself saith in a book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So the writers of the New Testament would call the book of Psalms just that, the book of Psalms. But go back to verse 39. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. And after that, they durst not ask him any question at all. There's a picture of an unsaved group or person, more specifically, at the great white throne judgment, completely silenced. So therefore, verse 41 makes sense. And he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, unbelieving Jews, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Two Jehovah's, and of course David, like I said last week, is speaking not only for himself, but for the greater David. David therefore calleth him Lord. How about that? A father calling his son Lord. How is he then his son? Then the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes, and love greetings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a show make long prayers. Our Father which art in heaven, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The same shall receive greater damnation. But 42 again, David himself saith in a book of Psalms, like Psalm 110, The Lord said unto my Lord, Jehovah said unto Jehovah, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. During the thousand year reign, going into eternity of course. Go to Luke 24. Luke uh, 24. Look at verse 44. And he said unto them, Jesus speaking, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, and in the Psalms, and in the Psalms concerning me. Christ never once doubted the Old Testament. He was a Bible believer, a Bible reader. He took the word of God completely and utterly and unequivocally seriously. Didn't question it, didn't doubt it, took it very seriously. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. He opened their understanding, Christ opened their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. If you're not saved, impossible for you to understand the book. Go to Acts chapter 1. So what I'm doing this morning, before we get to Psalm 3, if you haven't already worked out, I'm showing you every mention of the word psalm or psalms. Every time the word psalm or psalms is found, in the Word of God, like the New Testaments, particularly, I want to just read very quickly to you this morning and uh, briefly comment. Acts chapter 1, uh, look at verse 20. 
For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishop, Rick, lets another take. Basically, when he dies, and he will die, he will die a cursed death, and we discussed that this morning, someone else will have to replace him. Of course, Judas is in the context here of verse 1, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishop, Prick, like the overseer, like the office of an elder, if you will, an overseer, if you will, let another take. And of course, that would be the Antichrist. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. When it comes to the book of Psalms, you've got five divisions. If you think of the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, in a sense, mirror the book of Psalms, which is broken into five divisions, or the first five books of the New Testament. Uh, for Matthew to Acts, also mirror the book of Psalms. Like I said a few moments ago, technically speaking, Psalms is prophetical. Thousand year reign, eternity, but before that, the tribulation, and of course, the church age. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Colossians chapter 3. If you are saved, like I say, you have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be joyful about. You have a reason to shine. You have a reason to be grateful, thankful. But if you get down, if you suffer with depression or anxiety, read the scriptures, sing to the Lord. The book of Psalms is basically an anthem of praise and thanksgiving for God and his word. If you go online, you'll find a lot of material, people singing the Psalms, but my attempt, my goal over the next three to five years will be to read every Psalm, verse by verse, God willing, and help you to understand uh, what these Psalms or how the Psalms relate to people living today. Uh, Colossians 3, Colossians 3, look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. I love that. Go to James chapter 5. Before I got saved, I was a singer, had my own big band, made four albums. And I can tell you, before we would go on stage, it was very nerve-wracking. And once I got on stage and started to sing, I started to calm. My nerves would calm. But singing in a studio is not the same as singing on stage, I can tell you. Not the same at all. But if you want to really enjoy yourself, sing to the Lord. James 5, James 5, look at verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Praise the Lord indeed. Father in heaven, we pray for your blessing this morning as we work through Psalm 3. We are having a great blessing working through the Old Testament. And we pray for your grace this morning to open up the book of Psalms to us, the third psalm written by King David. And we praise you and give you thanks and glory for saving our wretched souls. Please fill us with your spirit. Cleanse us of our sins that we have committed over the, over the last seven days. And allow us to be fit to take of the bread and drink of the cup of this morning. And we pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Psalm 3, Psalm 3. Look at verse 1. Lord. That's a good way to start a psalm. Lord. Jehovah. Adonai. Lord. How they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. So David is on the move and we'll discuss him this morning and his son Absalom we will discuss some of the pros and cons right and wrongs when it came to King David but here he's written the first psalm he's written the second psalm and here he's writing the third psalm we do believe that David wrote 
at least half of the book of Psalms. That's 75 Psalms. And again, the Psalms mirror the first five books of the Old Testament, and the Psalms mirror the first five books of the New Testament. The book of Psalms is slap bang in the middle of your Bible. And I gave you that reference from Luke 24, how the Lord said it would be the writings of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Basically, he would say that the Old Testament, the Tanakh, would be broken down into three sections. No Apocrypha. Did you notice that? Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Lord, how they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. So it's like this. You say, well, I've got a problem in my life. It could be this, it could be that. And I feel pretty bad about this. I feel pretty bad about that. I feel the world is against me. I feel I'm accursed, perhaps. Or I feel like I'm a failure, perhaps. But there's always somebody far worse off than you. I was told a story not long ago about Sumatra, Indonesia, maybe 25 years ago. A terrible story of Christians that were not only being persecuted, but were being beheaded. And the media kept quiet about it. And those poor people, after they were beheaded, had their skin ripped off them, fried and eaten by cannibals in Indonesia. The media had no interest in reporting it. Why, you ask? Because they hate Christians. The media hate Christians. Hollywood hates Christians. I saw a movie about a week or so ago, and in one scene in the movie, it had a sign up on the wall saying, Beware of God. Beware of God. I thought, yes, aren't you clever? Aren't you smart? Man hates God. What would the Lord Jesus Christ say? They hated me without a cause. So before you start to cry yourself a river, just think about those all around you. Think about people who are really going through it. Those poor saints in Sumatra, beheaded, skin ripped off them, peeled off them like an onion, fried and then eaten by cannibals when unnoticed, unreported. And yet if a group of Christians got together, shall we say, and started to treat Buddhists or Taoists or Hindus, not particularly nice, you could imagine the press would be all over such people like a rash. But let's stay in context. David is speaking, the Lord's anointed. And again, going back to Luke uh, 20, 42, he's speaking for himself, he's speaking for Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who's he speaking for? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't forsaken. Dogs have compassed me about, cast uh, dice for my garments, not David's garments. Pierced my hands and my feet, not David, but yes, for Christ. He's speaking for himself, he's speaking for Christ. One more time, 3-1, Lord, how they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me, not just some, many. Many there be which say of my soul, there was no help for him in God. Selah, or sailor, can be pronounced both ways. In other words, they are saying, it's pointless, David, trusting in God. He has forsaken you. Keep your hand there and go to Matthew 27, Matthew chapter 27. David would be guilty of many sins, and one of his sins would be that he had a favorite son, and he would neglect his favorite son. He would spoil his favorite son. You say it's a contradiction. No, it's not a contradiction. It's a fact. You can have a favorite child that you spoil, but you can also neglect a favorite child. Uh, Matthew 27, Matthew uh, 27, look at verse 41. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, it's always the priests, isn't it? It's always the priests who undermine the King James Bible. It's always the priests who mock the King James Bible. It's always the priests who attempt to pull down the work that Bible believers are attempting to do. He saved others, true. Himself he cannot save. He didn't come to save himself. He came to save us. He came to help us. 
He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. That's a lie. And of course, if you think about Luke 16, when Abraham would say to Lazarus that if one was to rise from the dead and return to his or her family, it would make no difference. It's a heart issue, you see. It's a heart issue. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Going back to last week's study, that he was declared to be the Son of God at the Incarnation, not at the Resurrection. The Resurrection simply reaffirmed his divine credentials. But here, they're partly right. And of course, these words are going to haunt these people at the great white throne judgment. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. So go back to Psalm 3. Look at 2 again. Many there be which say of my soul, not his inner soul, but his inner person. Sometimes the word soul is used to denote a person's inner feelings, going back to how we feel. My soul is cast down, we say, or my soul is very happy today. They say he was a sad soul, he was a happy soul. That's what is being spoken about here. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah, or sailor. And again, from Matthew 27, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. If he will have him? What a thing to say. Like it's a piece of garbage, a piece of rubbish. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. And again, Psalm 3, there is no help for God in him. So David is speaking for himself, first and foremost. But he's speaking for the greater David. Selah, or sailor. Selah, sailor, it can be pronounced both ways. Either means a pause, or a musical note. Take your pick, the scholars are divided. This book, the book of Psalms, is about praise. Like I said a few moments ago, an anthem of praise and thanksgiving for God and his word. Also, the term sila or sailor is first found uh, back in 2 Kings. Go to 2 Kings 14, like verse 7. He slew of Edom in the valley of salt 10,000 and took sila by war and called the name of it Jokthael unto this day. So basically, sila means rock city and of course during the tribulation the jews are going to flee to petra rock city sila petra and they will be taken care of during the uh, tribulation period uh, the lord will protect them while the antichrist is attempting to hunt them down like absalom is now attempting to track his son or track his father down hunt his father down this is fascinating and last night i thought about this go back to psalm 3 and i thought about this last night i thought I wonder what Absalom really knew about his father. In fact, if you have an old King James Bible, it should say above 3.1, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Absalom means father of peace. The Antichrist will use a counterfeit peace to conquer the world. And over the last hundred years, the Church of Rome have been praying for world peace. And yet, the word of God says, there's no peace for the wicked, saith the Lord. Never once will Christ pray for peace in the world. In fact, in John 17, he would say that he didn't pray for the world. He prayed for those that were given to him out of the world. There's no peace for the wicked. There's a counterfeit peace. What does Paul say over in First Thessalonians 5? Then sudden destruction will come when they say peace. But here, David is on the move. He's been tracked down by his treacherous son. And I'll say a lot more about that in a few moments. Go back to verse 1 again. Lord, how they increase that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. What's going on, Lord? I am your anointed. You said once that I was a man after your own heart. You chose me when I was a young man. You put oil on my head. You sent Samuel, one of Israel's greatest preachers, to anoint me. And yet look at Samuel. He had two sons, a couple of wicked sons. This chapter is about family. 
And Samuel's two sons were a couple of uh, perverts, a couple of reprobates, a couple of wicked, disappointing, unbelieving, unsaved sons. They were a great trouble to uh, Samuel. And of course, Samuel, if the truth were known, was probably more of a father to Israel than his own two sons. I remember some years ago listening to a sermon, not a sermon, an interview that Sinatra gave, Sinatra Jr., about his father. And he said this, he said, well, Sinatra said this, Sinatra said that. Never once called him father. Never once called him my dad. He spoke about his father like he was the guy next door. And he would say, Sinatra wanted to do this, Sinatra wanted to do that. And I thought, you don't know your father, do you? You never knew your father, did you? I saw his granddaughter, Sinatra's granddaughter, being interviewed. Back in the mid-1990s, same thing. My grandfather was a great man. He thought this, he thought that, blah, blah, blah. And he was still alive. She was speaking about her grandfather in the past tense. She didn't know her grandfather. And Sinatra Jr. didn't know his father. And it's my belief that Absalom didn't know David. Spot, pampered, neglected, overlooked. And that's one of the reasons why David is on the move. One more time from 3-2. Many that be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God's sealer. In other words, God has forsaken you, David. You are a rascal. It says over in uh, uh, 2 Samuel that he was fleeing from Absalom. How a guy came along and started to cuss David. Started to curse him, blaspheme him. Called him a son of Belial. Basically said, you are a pervert, David. God is against you. You are a wicked man. Not true, of course, but he was being slandered. But every time I think about this incident, I think about Absalom. Doesn't know his father. If you are a father and you've got sons or a son, do your sons know you? Do you spend time with your sons? Could your son name five things that they know that you like? Could your son name ten things that you like? You wonder, don't you? One of the reasons why so many black people in Britain and America are out of control in the streets is because they have no fathers. And those that they have, they don't even know. You want to destroy a child? You fathers, spend no time with your children. Just neglect your sons. Don't spend five minutes with them. You will destroy them. Three, three. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. But thou, O Lord, but you, O Lord, Jehovah God, art a shield for me. A physical shield, a spiritual shield. My glory, like my glorious one, and the lifter up of mine head. Keep your hand there and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans uh, chapter 12. I can think of two other people who would have very strained relations with their families, Billy Graham. Uh, would be one, and Sammy Davis would be another. And I've read Billy Graham's autobiography, a very interesting book, I should say. And I uh, remember listening to interviews that Sammy Davis gave before he died in 1989. And both of these guys uh, had a great life. And when Billy was uh, writing his biography, he would say that he really regretted not spending more time with his children. His choice, of course. He was too busy travelling the world trying to save the world. And Sammy Davis was too busy traveling the world to entertain the world. And Sammy didn't spend much time with his children, and he regretted it bitterly. And so too did uh, Billy Graham. Uh, Romans 12, Romans 12, look at verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, like Absalom, he's angry, he's against David. He wants attention. Feed him. David, take care of your boy. Discipline your boy. It would be Absalom who would come to the aid of his sister when she was raped by her half-brother. And David was told about the incident, did nothing about it, never once disciplined his son, never once put this, the, uh, the rod to his rear. And this is another problem that we've got, corporal punishment. Corporal punishment is seriously neglected. You can't discipline a child, but a child will discipline you. 
when I went to school, when I first started at school years ago, I remember going into the, into the headmaster's office. Uh, I was a new member at the school, and he showed me a cane. Long retired, of course, illegal to use when I was at school. But for 25, 30 years, the cane was used on the backside, on the hand. And he said, I can't use it now. It is illegal. And since the abolition of corporal punishment, the cane, children are out of control. Children are killing children. Children are getting children pregnant. Children are attacking teachers, police officers, people in society in general. They're out of control, like Absalom. Absalom was spoilt. Like Sinatra was spoilt, neglected, a bit like Sinatra was, but not quite, but similar. And if you spoil a child, you have a brat, don't you? A spoilt brat. So if you think about Jack Kennedy, you think about Robert Kennedy, a couple of spoilt boys from a very wealthy, privileged family. Their father was never around, too busy counting his money, chasing women. And their mother, Rose, is it, was left to raise nine boys, nine children, or thereabouts. And Robert and Jack were spoilt rotten. Never once told no, never once told you can't have this, you can't have that. And if you think about the two boys and their women that they would collect, it makes sense to you. They collected women like children would collect toys. Never told no, never told no. But here, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. Take care of your son, you fathers. Don't neglect your sons, you fathers. If you neglect your sons, you fathers, you will lose out and you will destroy your sons. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. That's what David would say. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Three, three, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. Therefore, if an enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Paul is quoting Proverbs uh, 25. Go to Proverbs 25. 25. Ah, uh, 21. If thine enemy be hungry, here we go again. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. But thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. His head. For the Lord shall reward thee. Go back to Psalm 3. So it's my belief had David spent time with Absalom. But of course David had too many women and too many children by too many women. Going back to the Kennedys. Nine children, ten children. Jack Kennedy had many women uh, Robert Kennedy had many women. They both would share Jackie Kennedy after Jack Kennedy would die. And we talked about Aristotle and Narcissus a few Sundays ago. And you might say to me, why do you mention these people, James? They're not even saved. Because these people are idolized all over the world to this day. So we talk about these people because they are someone's idol somewhere. And it's good to shatter someone's idol. It's good to look at these people in light of Holy Scripture. But thou, O Lord, 3.3, three, art a shield for me. A physical shield concerning Absalom and a spiritual shield covering David's own sins. My glory, you are my glory. Of course, Christ is the express image of God Almighty. He would share the glory with his father, John 17, before the foundation of the world. And the lifter up of mine head. Christ would lift up all. He would be lifted up. And as he was lifted up, he would draw all men unto him. But here, mine head goes back to David standing like his kingship. He was a priest, he was a prophet, he was a king, also a father. And it would appear not a very good father. Like I say, Samuel wasn't a good father, had a couple of wayward sons. David wasn't a particularly good father. Uh, Lot wasn't a particularly good father. Look at his two daughters. Look how they treated him. Look at the incidents that took place at the back end of the book of Genesis. And if you go through scripture, you find many accounts of God's people, saved people, with uh, disappointing, shall we say, 
uh, not so good. Children and their grandchildren aren't much better either. Look at 3.4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. Like Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And again, holy hill, go back to 2.6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I put my king upon my holy hill of Zion. David, it will be you, first and foremost, but in type, in shadows, it will be the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater David. I will declare the decree, 2.7. The Lord hath said unto me, Again, David is speaking, but he's speaking for Christ, but he's speaking for himself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who's speaking? David. But who's really speaking? Jesus Christ. Who wrote Romans? Paul. Again, who wrote Romans? The Holy Ghost. Can you understand that? Of course you can't. But it's a fact, isn't it? I will declare the decree, God speaking. The Lord has said unto me, David speaking. Thou art my son, Jesus speaking. This day, in time, not before time, have I begotten thee. And also from verse 12, kiss the son. Yes, David was referred to as God's son. Israel was referred to as God's son. But so too would be Adam. Not his only begotten son, but a son of God. Israel, son of God. And here, kiss the son, Messiah, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. That's pretty clear, isn't it? When his wrath is kindled, kindled like set on fire. But a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. But three, four, I cried unto the Lord. With my voice, David is speaking, but he's speaking on behalf of Christ again. And he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. We call this double application. Double application. David is speaking. He's written Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, and 70 more. But he's speaking for Christ. He's speaking for himself. Double application. If you get that, you'll get a great blessing. But if you don't get it, you won't get a great blessing. You'll just read these passages like Orthodox Jews, Hasidic Jews, and they won't see anything spiritual in this or prophetic. But we as Christians, we read it and we can see it and it makes a lot of sense to us. And here, Holy Hill, of course, going back to what I said last week, at the point of its uh, splendor, at its uh, point in time, it was Israel's crown of glory, if you will. Solomon would build a temple on this particular mount. Now, Mount Moriah is where the Dome of the Rock is. But again, think about Absalom, father of peace. Jerusalem, city of peace. Absalom son of David, Judas, son of Jesus. You say, what? Jesus had sons? Or look at it this way. David had sons, physical sons. Jesus had spiritual sons. On one occasion, Jesus would say to a Jewish woman that he had healed, daughter. Then he would say to a Jewish man that he had healed, son. Or he would say to the apostles, John 21, children, have you any meat to eat? And you say, what are you talking about, James? Well, Isaiah 9 says he's Israel's everlasting father, not God the father. So Judas was a son of Jesus. Judas would betray Jesus. Absalom would betray David. Absalom is called father of peace. Judas is son of perdition. Antichrist will bring a false peace. Judas brought a false peace. Absalom was trying to inflict his will, bring a false sense of peace to Israel. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Mount Moriah, like I say, uh, in Israel today, Dome of the Rock sits up there one day, it will be destroyed, like in one hour. But now, if you were to breathe on the Dome of the Rock, there'd be riots all over the Middle East. They take it incredibly seriously. And again, Solomon, son of David, Absalom, son of David, Judas, son of Jesus, and James, son of Jesus. Jesus Christ, for the Jew, thousand year reign, is their everlasting Father. Not God the Father. Those that teach Jesus Christ as God the Father are disqualified, basically. They are biblical illiterates. Christ is our older brother. 
for the church age. He is Israel's everlasting father for the thousand year reign. So Judas and Absalom are very similar. Mm. And I'll discuss that in a few more moments. Uh, 3 5. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. There's a picture of the resurrection. Jonah, good old Jonah, would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the fish. Jesus would spend three days and three nights in the hearts of the earth. But the context goes back to 2 Samuel. Chapter 15, read it sometime. 2 Samuel 17, read it sometime. David would spend two nights on the run from Absalom. Two nights. And yet he's sleeping like a baby every night. Jonah was sleeping, no doubt, while he was in the heart of the earth. Jesus was sleeping while he was in the tomb. Of course, you understand Jesus would go into the heart of the earth, along with uh, the thief on the cross, set captivity captive, and then would uh, return to heaven with the saved of course, but David, let's stay in, in uh, context, is laying down, verse 5, he's sleeping like a baby. Always nice to read about that. Not a care in the world. Why? Because he's got his mind focused on God Almighty. For the Lord, the Lord, not Mary, not the Pope, not Holy Mother Church, not ex-Catholics of Christ. The Lord, not you, not me, not this church, that church. The Lord, the Lord, sustain me. The Lord took care of King David. So it's like this. If you find yourself in a situation, maybe not as grave as David's, but let's say you are struggling somewhat and you can't get your prayers answered and you're going through a really rough time at the moment, think about Romans 8.28 sometime. Romans 8.28, how all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called, to those that are called according to his purpose. Richard Wormbrand. Two days ago I thought about Richard Wormbrand, a Romanian pastor who spent 14 years in prison. And he said this, he said, quote, Christianity and communism are not compatible, close quote. Now, the Pope today wouldn't agree with that. Back in the 1950s, to say that would mean a prison sentence. And Richard Wormbrand was put in prison for 14 years. And part of his incarceration was horrific. They would beat him physically and emotionally. He would sleep in a cell, six by six, a light on his face every night he couldn't sleep more than probably two or three hours and that wasn't bad enough every night the prison guards trained by the kgb would play tape recordings of women being whipped imagine hearing that every night for 14 years and he would say to himself is that my wife being whipped probably not but it was somebody's wife being whipped it would drive him crazy hearing that every single night and he was kept in solitary confinement, really had a rough time. And after 14 years, people got together, uh, would uh, raise money for him. And Chichasco, for memory, uh, took the money and he was released. I think he went to America where he found a uh, political asylum. But you think about somebody who really went through it. You think about Richard Wormbrand. I got his book, Tortured for Christ. Heavy, heavy stuff. I mean, every single night they're barging into your cell. You can't sleep. They are mocking you they are torturing you they're putting the screws on you the thumb screws and you're hearing women being whipped tape uh, recordings you know cassette tape recordings but they want to get into your mind you see and they broke that man physically and sometimes spiritually you think of menzenti cardinal menzenti from hungary would also fall foul of communism and after 15 years at the american embassy in budapest was released eventually and he went to meet his boss paul the in Rome, and he realised he'd been betrayed. His own church had sold him out. His own church had moved over to communism. And he realised uh, in five minutes of spending time with Paul VI that his own church had betrayed him. Treachery is a terrible thing. 
I mean, it was bad enough for Absalom to betray his son. It was bad enough for Judas to betray his son. It was bad enough for Cain to betray his son. It was bad enough for Joseph's brothers to betray Jesus. It was bad enough for the high priests, scribes and Pharisees to betray Jesus, a fellow Jew, to the Gentiles. That was bad enough. Anything about these people, Wormbrand, thrown into a pit for 14 years, Menzenti thrown into a prison cell, indirectly, of course, at the US Embassy for 15 years. His own church basically sold him out. And like I say, when he met up with Paul VI, he realized in five minutes that his church had moved on and he was persona non grata. But again, I laid me down, three, five, David is speaking, but Jesus is speaking, and slept three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I await resurrection and the Lord sustain me. You can't miss it, can you? We can see it, we have eyes to see, ears to hear, but the world, for the most part, do not. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that set themselves against me round about. So, Absalom thought he was top dog, got away with the murder of his half-brother. David failed to intervene. David failed to discipline his son. And for a period of time, Absalom was running amok, basically. And here, you got it very clearly from David's mouth. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. So we do believe that Absalom was able to gather an army of 10,000 men. Incredible. I mean, you would have thought that 10 men in Israel would have said to Absalom, we can't take on David. He's a warrior. And yet, not only was he able to gather a group like 10,000, but they would fall for Absalom's uh, insanity. If you go back through the Old Testament, Second Samuel specifically, uh, one of uh, Absalom's aides would say to him, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. Your father's a man of war, like Cromwell. Like uh, Joshua. You know, Cromwell never lost a, a battle in his day. Nor did Joshua. And this aid of Absalom would say to him, this is a bad idea, your father is a man of war. His men are men of war. His men are real warriors. Your father's a real warrior, like an alpha male. There's no way that you and your men, all spoilt, went to private schools, if you understand what I mean, born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You, you guys can't take out your father. If you think back over... Uh, American history, like some of the Mafia people, it could be Al Capone, Lucky Luciano, it could be Gotti or Getty, it could be some of the Mafia bosses in America, all came up from the streets, and yet their sons went to private schools. Their sons couldn't kill anyone. Their sons couldn't run a boot, uh, bootlegging uh, empire, but their fathers could. And Absalom's aide said to him, this is a bad idea, Absalom, you can't beat your father, this will go nowhere. Good advice. And Absalom wouldn't listen to the advice of his aide. And this aide, whose name escapes me, went off and hung himself. He couldn't live with the terrible decision to try and take on King David. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. That's the army that Absalom was able to mobilise. Going back to my earlier comments, Absalom didn't know his father. He didn't know his father. He would underestimate his father. The Germans underestimated Britain before World War II. In fact, before World War II... You had German pilots flying to uh, Russia to be trained by the Russians to fly the German Air Force. Yeah. That was a breach of the uh, uh, Versailles, Versailles Treaty. Treaty yeah. Versailles Treaty. Yeah. That was a breach of the treaty from World War I. Russian pilots training German pilots to breach an embargo, basically. And Stalin and Hitler were good friends. In fact, I read an article last night just to refresh my memory about Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a socialist. He was a left-winger. Not a right-winger, a left-winger. And the most violent people are left-wingers. It could be Lenin, it could be Stalin, it could be Adolf Hitler. But my point is this. Hitler underestimated Britain. And Absalom underestimated David. 
that have set themselves against me round about. One more time, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. That's how it should be. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. But many times, your old nature gets a hold of you. And I am convinced that most Christians, uh, when they hit difficult times, turbulent times, uh, fall back on their own flesh to try and fix a problem. And if you do that, it's not good at all. I heard a sermon a while ago, and the preacher said this. He said uh, he was a lifeguard before he got saved. And he learnt very early on that when somebody is drowning in a pool or at sea, the one who is drowning has got to allow the one who's going to rescue him to do the rescuing. In other words, you can't have two people trying to save themselves simultaneously. I thought, yeah, that's a good point, that. Let God save you. You can't save yourself. And if you find yourself in a jam, lean on the Lord. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13. Look at verse 6. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Well, you shouldn't fear what man can do unto you. I heard a sermon, another sermon. A while ago, and it went along the lines of this, that someone who loves God, someone who fears God, will not fear man. I don't believe that. It's possible to fear God and man. You shouldn't fear God and man, but it is possible to fear God and man. And if you fear God and man, you are in a really bad state. One more time. So that we may boldly say, 3.6, Hebrews 13.6, The Lord, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear, I will not fear. What man shall do unto me? Go back to Psalm 3. So that was David's philosophy. Now, he's not panicking about Absalom. He's more concerned about protecting Absalom. He loved Absalom. But again, he was a bad parent. He was a bad father. He was an absent father. He had no time for his children. It could be Sinatra. We discussed him briefly. He had three children, two girls, one boy. Two of his girls would uh, need psychiatric help for many, many years. His son would also need uh, counselling, never around for his three children. His son would speak about him as if, he, as if he was the guy next door. And his granddaughter would also speak about him as if he was the man next door. They didn't know their father. They didn't know their grandfather. Sammy Davis's family, same sort of a thing. Billy Graham's family, same sort of a thing. Samuel, I believe, would be the same sort of a thing. And King David as well. So please, if you are a father, listen to this broadcast somewhere around the world. And you've got sons, or a son, or grandsons, even better, Spend time with your boys. I saw a documentary two nights ago. Very powerful documentary. Very sad documentary. Set in Seattle. Back in the 1980s. True story. And these two boys. Less than six. Were being raised by their single parent. Father. He had custody of his two boys. The mother was no good. Had abandoned her sons. Drug addict. I think for memory. And this father was trying his best to raise his two sons. On one occasion. He's working two shifts to be fair to the father. But nonetheless. On one occasion. His two boys went to play at the local park. And uh, a stranger approached one of the boys, would abduct him, would do awful things to him, horrific things to him. And after killing him, torturing him, I mean, I won't go into detail, but it was horrific. Killed this boy, less than five years of age, threw him in a field. And the police officer said, this boy looks like he's being crucified. And to cut a long story short, the police officer was being interviewed for this documentary. And this was 28 years ago. And the officer, he's crying on camera, reliving this horrible events of this six-year-old boy left naked in a field, arms opened out, raped, murdered. I mean, horrific what that boy went through. And he started to break down the police officer, and he said, uh, if this is how I feel, how does his father feel? I thought, yeah, good point. His father, let's be quite honest, neglected his boys. And, he's, and these two boys walked to a local park, not even six. One was four. Played in a park, no supervision. A paedophile came along, snatched one, like I say, did horrific things to the six-year-old boy, killed him. Eventually the police officer tracked this 
PDF file down. And what was interesting with this case in Seattle was he was hung. He was the first person to be hung since 1965. And the officer said to this PDF file, you've got two options, the needle or the rope. What do you want? And he said, I want the rope. And they hung this scumbag, basically. That's what they called him, a scumbag, a predator. They hung him. First time since 1965 a criminal was hung. Again, corporal punishment, gone. Capital punishments in this country, gone. Most states in America don't uh, put their people to death for horrific crimes. And in Europe, it's illegal. How about that? In Europe, it's illegal to have capital punishment in the EU. But you can abort your babies. That's not illegal. But you can't put criminals to death. What is going on here? I'll not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So Absalom was able to gather a group of men, not ten, not a thousand, but ten thousand. How did he do it, you say? Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. I spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. And if you are a politician, or if you follow politicians, or if you are political, or if you are a member of a political party, the chances are you've been seduced. You've been talked into supporting a political party, and that politician has what's called the gift of the gap. Gift of the gap. He has a ability to get you to support him, to raise money for him. Preachers are good at doing this as well. A lot of the preachers online at the moment, or over years, and in church buildings, are very clever at what they say and do. Hitler was a great preacher. Great preacher. Mussolini was a great preacher. Uh, Churchill was a great preacher. But preaching the wrong type of message, you understand. Uh, what did I say? Romans uh, 16. I'll say this also when it comes to going through difficult times, uh, struggling. I preached with a temperature of 103, 104. I have preached at the open air pulpits in the freezing weather, freezing wind, minus 5, minus 6. I preached at the open air pulpit in the baking summer. I've hurt my back, I've hurt my shoulder. I've hurt my body by standing at an awkward position on uneven ground. Uh, but I love it. I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. And I preached with a fever, burning up fever, sore throat, uh, vestibular problems, this and that. And I love it. I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. So if you are a Christian and you are struggling, if you are suffering, keep pushing on. Don't start to whine. Don't start to grumble. Don't start to complain. If Wormbrand could come through it, and he did... Uh, even Minzenti, to some extent, so he was a Catholic, was gracious, wasn't bitter. And yes, he fell out of his, he fell out of favour with his church in a roundabout way, and he was betrayed in a roundabout way. But he still wasn't bitter, and that's something to be you know, commended of. Uh, so hang in there, if you are struggling, it won't last forever, I promise you. Romans 16. So Absalom, what's going on with Absalom? Given a good education, went to the best of schools like uh, Eton or Harrow or Oxford, or Cambridge, or Harvard, or Yale, or uh, some of the other top schools in America. Uh, Columbia, is it? Columbia, yeah. Uh, AIC, is it? Yeah. The one in California. MIT. MIT in Massachusetts. Mm. Top schools, top universities. Again, Capone's kids had a good upbringing. Getty's kids had a good upbringing. Uh, Kennedy kids. Look at the Kennedy kids. Mm. Very good upbringing in uh, Massachusetts, was it? And yet Joe Kennedy was a bootlegger. A bootlegger. But their boy, his boys were very well educated, had a good upbringing. But they were nothing. They were beta males, basically. And I think Absalom was a beta male. He misread his father. Didn't know his father. Underestimated him. And like I said a few moments ago, he was told by his, uh, his, one of his aides, don't go there, Absalom. 
it won't work, it'll be a disaster. And what does he do? He goes against his father, and it was a disaster. But my point is this, the question is this, how did it happen? How is it possible? How is it possible for Hitler to mobilise an entire nation? 70 million in Germany, 60 million in Germany, World War II, 40 million in Germany. I may be slightly off my figures, but he carried most of Germany. Unlike Stalin, who was a dictator, Hitler was a dictator, but he won some of the votes, if you know what I mean. But Stalin, no votes in Russia, but Hitler carried nearly all of Germany. How did he do it? Romans 16, Romans 16, look at verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, like false teachers, but their own belly, their own belly. They like to overeat, they like to indulge themselves, drinking, eating, smoking, narcotics perhaps, uh, gaming perhaps, uh, television perhaps, pornography perhaps. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That's what Absalom was able to do. Smooth and slick was able to seduce his people. He would say this, we can take David on. He's an old man. He's over the hill. Big, big mistake. That's what uh, people thought about Cromwell. Over the hill. He won't be able to defeat the king. And of course, he was able to defeat the king. And on one occasion, Scotland sent troops into Britain, like Wigan. And when Cromwell was told there were troops in Wigan, he mobilised his men that were in Kent, from memory, 300 miles away. They rushed to Wigan, confronted the Scots, and the Scots were forced back into Scotland. Incredible. In about, what, 12 days, 14 days? You mess with Cromwell, you couldn't come back from it. You mess with Joshua, you couldn't come back from it. You mess with David, you couldn't come back from it. But again, good words and fair speeches to see the hearts of the simple. So Absalom, like a politician today, like the Antichrist, because that's what he is, a type of the Antichrist, was able to use smooth words. Fair speeches, and as a result, deceive the hearts of the simple. Smooth and slick, talking politician, get people to follow him. And of course, they would follow him into hell, literally. Go back to Psalm 3. Psalm 3, look at 6 again and we'll close. I'll not be afraid of ten thousands of people, David speaking, but in type Christ, and prophetically concerning the church, of course, that have set themselves against me round about. So you shouldn't be terrified. You shouldn't be crumbling if you are up against it. It may not be easy. You may have to uh, pay a price. It may be pretty bleak, pretty difficult, but it won't last forever. Wormbrand was eventually released from his Romanian prison, would go to America, would write books, give talks, and he really did open the eyes of the West as to how bad it was. Thankfully, communism would collapse by the late 1980s, and what was really interesting was once it did collapse, nobody would vote for a communist party anywhere in the world. True. You think of Russia today, when the Berlin Wall came down, Yeltsin was the first leader, post the fall of uh, Gorbachev and his ilk. And yes, elections took place uh, in Russia, 1989-1990. No communist was ever elected. Interesting, isn't it? No uh, Catholic priest has ever been elected. No Catholic bishop has ever been elected. No cardinal or pope has ever been elected. And all these isms, when they come to an end, uh, close a pretty evil part in history. I should also say the word uh, sailor, sailor appears 71 times in the book of Psalms. But the focus for this morning's message, and this will be a two-part study, is to look at David and Absalom, Jesus and Judas. Like I say, Absalom was a physical descendant of David, no good. Judas was a spiritual descendant of Jesus, no good. Both were fathers of peace, false peace. Both would rise up against their fathers, 
And again, Jesus is Israel's everlasting father. Isaiah chapter 9, not God the Father. That's a heresy. That's a blasphemous blunder to make. And when Judas tried to overthrow Jesus, it would end in misery. As of right now, Judas is burning. As of right now, uh, Absalom is burning. And a quick footnote, when uh, David's chief of staff caught up with uh, Absalom, he'd been told not to kill Absalom. He was told to leave him alone. Bad advice from David. Really bad advice. But again, David was a flawed man, a poor father. He found Absalom, and it says that he uh, got caught in an oak tree. An oak tree. Now, an oak tree, if you don't know, is also connected with Christ at Calvary. He died a cursed death. Absalom died a cursed death. But here's the thing. Some of you Catholics that worship Mary, some of you Papists who take Fatima very seriously, did you know that when that thing appeared, that apparition, the so-called Virgin Mary, it was a demon, of course, it was a devil, that demon would also appear by a tree. And that tree was an oak tree. An oak tree is a cursed tree. But of course, your average Catholic doesn't read the Bible. If you were to sit down with the average Catholic and say, what does the Old Testament mean to you? They say, the Old Testament, is it, a, is it a football team? Is it a documentary, they would say? Is it a newspaper? Is it a magazine? What is the Old Testament? So they have no idea what the Old Testament is. But in the Old Testament, take some time, study it for yourself. Oak tree is connected with Absalom, who died a cursed death. And also Judas, who died on a cursed tree, hung himself on a tree, an oak tree, cursed death. And Christ, who became a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3, and your Catholics praying to Mary, the so-called Virgin Mary, which of course she was, but she wasn't a virgin forever, the so-called Queen of Heaven, when she appeared to those children, she appeared via an oak tree, a cursed tree. But of course, you don't read the Bible, you don't know these things, you're ignorance, and what do they say, ignorance is bliss, and you stay in that system, and you perish and go to hell forever. So we'll close it there, and next week we'll turn to verses 7 and 8, and tie up some more loose ends when it comes to families and what to do and what not to do. So Psalm chapter 3 deals with families like fathers and sons and David is on the move. He is being hunted by around 10,000 mercenaries shall we suggest. Maybe two or three years ago I caught one of those reality programs, very interesting one. A former British SAS trooper was uh, being paid to escape from former British special forces like the Marines, paratroopers, and some others, and uh, towards the end of his running from these former special forces, they almost, almost caught him, but not quite, and it was decided that he would find a hill, and when he got to a hill, he would run up the hill, and a helicopter would pick him up, and they showed the film crew following these former special forces, and they got to this hill, and one of the former Marines said, if I was 20 years younger, I would run up the hill, but it's too high for me now. They chased this Trooper tracked him down and almost, almost caught him, but not quite. And a chopper was hovering over the hill. You think of God's holy hill like Mount Moriah, but not quite. And he jumped onto the chopper and it ferried him away. They couldn't get him. Well, David is similar, I suppose, a man of war, an experienced trooper, an experienced soldier. And Absalom completely misread his father. And I want to continue to, to discuss the relationship between fathers and sons. Sons and fathers. The word Selah, we looked at briefly last Sunday, appears 71 times in the book of Psalms. And basically it means Amen, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But it's fascinating for me when I read about King David, Israel's most famous and decorated king, being hunted like a criminal, like a vagabond, a bit like Cain after he would slay his brother Abel. And he's got his son on his heels like this 
trooper, former SAS trooper, a group of ex-special uh, forces. But they weren't good enough for this trooper. And Absalom's men were not good enough for King David. But go back to Psalm 3.1 again. Lord, how they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. So like I said last Sunday in the context, dealing with the Absalom incidents. And Absalom was a wicked king. King that never was, if you will. Temporarily he may have been king, but he was never really the king per se. He never crowned king of Israel. And for many years he's watched his father. And he's jealous, he's envious, he's hateful. And I'll discuss that more in a few moments. He's watching Solomon, his half-brother. And he thinks to himself this, I could do a better job than uh, Solomon. And of course you know the incidents. Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, is made aware that Absalom is planning and plotting to remove David. Not yet dead. Late 60s, not particularly old for a Jewish leader back in the Old Testament. And she goes to David. Uh, she says to David, are you aware that Absalom is planning to upsurp you and uh, replace Solomon? Of course, David was shocked. He wasn't a good father, you see. Too busy trying to sort Israel's problems out, like politicians. They say this, well, I'm going to run for office. And they run for office. And once they lose the top job, once the top uh, job is taken away from me say this well i'm going to spend more time with my family but you've got no interest in your family you sacrificed your children for your career years ago and that's why it's always good news when women lose their seats in parliament they can go back to being mothers take care of their children children need their parents i was told a story a few days ago about a nursery or as the americans say kindergarten very young children less than a year old being left in full-time care and their parents are making money career Parents, and they've got children, some of them, three or four children, under the age of two, in one kindergarten, one nursery. Far too young, far too young to be left on their own. But their parents are power hungry. Their parents want the best of both worlds. But here David is suffering, and he's a good type of all of us that go through the mill. We all suffer. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, it could be all three. We spoke about Richard Wormbrand last week. He was tortured. They would use uh, electric cables on him. They would uh, find his weak spots and really work him over. I mean, if you think of some of the greats, get uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs sometime. Read it. Anne Askew. We've spoken about Anne Askew over the years. She was tortured to death by the papists. And she said this, quotes, I have read that God made man, but that man can make God I have not read. Close quote. And the papists were infuriated at that. How dare this woman correct us? How dare this woman say that we can't bring Christ down from heaven? And sacrifice him afresh. How dare she say that? And she was tortured. And she's gone down as one of the great female saints in the history of the church. Warren Brand was released. How he survived, I have no idea. Minzenti, we talked, we talked about him briefly last week. The Russians thought it was very funny to bring prostitutes into his cell to try and break him. I guess today they'd bring rent boys in <laughs> to try and break your average papers today. But it was pretty rough. He took on the Germans. He took on the Russians. And they both had their crack at breaking Minzenti. He too would be released. And we discussed him briefly last week, as would Wyrmbrand. But ask yourself this, how would you handle that type of a pressure? How would it go for you? Could you last a few minutes? It was J. Vernon McGee who said uh, if he was to be tortured, he wouldn't last five minutes. Mm. He said, I know that I am a coward. And uh, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he said he turned his back, faced the wall and cried. Mm. Like a baby. A grown man. And you think of these preachers, these performers. How about preachers like McGee or MacArthur or Rutman? Some of these great preachers. Some have got sons, some have not. McGee had a daughter, as far as we know, has no connection with the ministry per se. Barry Smith had a son, not in the ministry as far as we know. John MacArthur, a sixth generation Calvinist preacher. 
None of his sons, none of his grandsons, none of his great-grandsons are in the ministry. Must be very difficult for John to swallow, a bitter pill to swallow. Peter Upman had sons and daughters, as far as we know. None of his sons or grandsons are in the ministry. So disappointing. But here David, like I say, is lamenting. He's grieved that he's got problems. Look at verse 2 again. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah, he's been forsaken. He's a rascal of a king, a wicked king. Of course he wasn't, but his enemies thought that he was. I'm sure Wormbrand's enemies thought he'd been forsaken. They said that Jesus Christ had been forsaken. And of course he had not. The best was yet to come. Look at 3.3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. You are my covering. You are my anointing. You are my everything. Every preacher, if he has sons, wants his sons to replace him. Well, of course. But the problem is, what do you do if your sons haven't got the gift? Are unable to do it. Jimmy Swaggett, not a great preacher, but a good musician. A very good musician. He's got a son called Donnie, a grandson called Gabriel. They haven't got it. They haven't got it. And I watched a clip about two or three years ago of Donnie preaching. Very poor. And Gabriel preaching. So poor. Bland. Boring. Hasn't got the gift of the gab. Hasn't got the ability to connect with people. You do need it. And these preachers, some better than others, like I say, are leaving huge legacies behind. Look at Franklin Graham. When Billy was getting up in years, his board members went to Franklin and said, Hey, Franklin, we've got a problem. Your father's getting up in years. He won't be around for much longer. We need you to replace your father. And Franklin hasn't got it. Yes, an apostate, like most preachers today, but when it comes to preaching, when it comes to connecting with people, when it comes to inspiring people, when it comes to trying to glorify the Lord, when it comes to reading, preaching and exegeting the scripture, he hasn't got it. He hasn't got it. His father had it. Yes, I know his father was a false teacher. I'm not endorsing his father, but he could preach. He could connect with people. He could travel the world. Schiller. Robert Schuller, senior, another good example. Another apostate, I'm afraid to say, but he had something. He could hold an audience. Yes, he would preach the prosperity gospel. His son replaced him, Schuller Jr., Hasn't got it. And his son, Shula III, replaced Shula Jr. Hasn't got it. All these guys haven't got the gift of the gab. You think of movie stars. You think of someone like Michael Douglas. Good actor. Not as good as his father. Kirk Douglas. No way. Paul Newman had a son. Couldn't break into the industry. Marlon Brando. Kids couldn't break into the industry. Sinatra Jr. We spoke about him briefly last week. His father would say this to Frank Jr. Whatever you do, son, don't follow me. Don't copy me. What did he do? He followed his father, copied his father, and he couldn't live up to his father's... Uh, I mean, you can't fill these boots. Mercer Ellington tried to follow his father, Duke Ellington. He couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Some of these people just can't do it. If Tony Blair's sons were to stand for office, or give me some names. David Cameron's sons, if he had sons, if they were to run for office, they couldn't do it. Some of these politicians are able to connect with people, but their children cannot do it. If one of Trump's uh, children would stand for office, they too haven't got it. These people are one-offs. Look at Chelsea Clinton. She hasn't got it. No charisma. She's got nothing. But Absalom, he's the boy we are speaking about this morning. Absalom, the king in waiting. Waiting to pounce, waiting to reclaim the throne. Claim it for his own. And of course, the crown was never going to be his. It was going to be Solomon's. 3-4, David speaking. But in type, it could be you, it could be I, it could be any one of us. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And he heard me out of his holy hill, a sealer. And one more time, God's holy hill is Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And of course, Jerusalem, city of peace. Same place where Solomon would build the temple. And today, the infamous Dome of the Rock. 
sits very pretty at the top of Jerusalem's uh, most holy hill. And again, that's a sign that Israel has fallen. The Jews are in unbelief. We were told in Scripture they would go back to the land in unbelief. And then eventually when the Lord was good and ready, he would turn to Israel and deal with Israel. If you read Revelation sometime, Revelation 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, the church isn't mentioned once. Did you notice that? Revelation 1, 2, 3, 4, the church is there. 19, it comes back. 20, great white throne judgment. 21, 22, the eternal state. But here David is crying out to the Lord. He loved his son. He loved Absalom. It could be that Absalom was his favorite son. I don't know. If you think back to uh, the Old Testament, you think back to uh, Jacob, Israel. His favorite son was Joseph, who, of course, was betrayed by his brethren. Abel was betrayed by Cain. Jesus was betrayed by his own brethren, the Pharisees, the scribes. They sold him out to the Gentiles. And, of course, the Apostle Paul was whipped 195 times. How about that? Whipped, beaten, scourged. Treated worse than a dog. I mean, Wormbrand went through the mill, but the Apostle Paul really does set the bar incredibly high. All these wonderful preachers, these famous preachers, these infamous preachers. Pat Robertson, another one, has a son who's working alongside him. Hasn't got it. Hasn't got it. Nice enough guy, I suppose. Pleasant enough guy, I suppose. But he hasn't got it. Bland. Bland. Yeah. Boring. Senior, like I say, had something. Ellington had something. Rutman had something. MacArthur had something. Still does, of course. McGee had something. I mean, we could go through the names of people that are famous. Some still with us, some that are not. But the point is this. When those guys get up in years, they all have one thing in common. They want their sons to replace them. They want their sons to preach. And yet for some of these guys, in fact, if not all of these guys I've just mentioned, apart from a few of them, of course... None of their sons have gone into the ministry. None of their sons are preaching or teaching. And when these guys die, and they will all die, of course, 10 out of 10 people die, the ministries fold up. I laid me down, 3-5, and I slept. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord. For the Lord, for the Lord, sustain me. And like I said last week, a picture of Jonah and Jesus, both dead for three days and three nights, and Almighty God would, res- would uh, resurrect the pair. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. That's what Absalom was able to muster, would you believe? Not a few hundred, but ten thousand. Going back to that reality program I watched a few years ago, the idea was track him. And if you track him, you'll win X amount of money. And they said, yes, we can do it. Former Marines, former paratroopers, former special forces. And this SAS trooper, Special Air Service, if you don't know what the SAS is, like the Navy SEALs or the Delta Force, if you are an American, he was way ahead of his British counterparts. They couldn't catch up with him. They couldn't get him. He was too good. They came near a few times, but they couldn't get him. And David, for two nights, was on the move, was running from his own son. And again, Absalom means father of peace. And yet, on one occasion, if not two occasions during the incident, David had a good night's sleep. Slept like a baby. And it's true that if you have a good night's sleep, it can fix almost, almost anything. David had great faith in Almighty God. And David is a great mystery, a real mystery to me. I sat down last night and I wanted to double check a few things when it came to David. Like, how many wives did he have? He had four wives, like Jacob. How many concubines did he have? Unknown, meaning quite a few. Now, we know that Jacob had at least two uh, from memory. I think two, no more than four from memory. But David, unknown. So I thought, how many children did King David have? 21 sons. One died, of course, the Bathsheba incident. Twenty boys, one daughter, perhaps more. 
And you start to ask yourself the question, how did David get away with having so many women, collecting women, women, having children by these women? It's a great mystery, isn't it, in Scripture? You're told back in Deuteronomy that the king wasn't to collect wives, wasn't to collect horses, wasn't to accumulate gold. David did all those things, and a whole lot more. So if you really want to study someone, and really stretch your brain, look at King David. Some years ago, I was in communication with a Bible ministry, a Bible school actually, in this country. And I was going back and forth with uh, one of their tutors, a guy called Calvin Smith. And uh, <laughs> interesting, some of the correspondence that we were enjoying, him and I, this is years and years ago, hadn't been saved very long. And I was wondering whether or not to go to Bible school to study. I was keen to know what was available for me in the UK or in the US. And he sent me his uh, prospectus, interesting. I didn't go, of course, in the end, but I was thinking about it. 17 years ago, we're going back nearly 20 years ago, and a long time ago, and uh, one of his emails back to me said, uh, we at this uh, school attempt to uh, stretch people's brains. We, we attempt to get people to really think. We push people. We get people to really study deep. What he was saying is, is that we get you to think outside of the box. That's what a good seminary would do. Back in the old days, of course, not so much now. I always thought it was an interesting statement. We stretch your brain. We stretch your mind. We get you to think. Think hard. Think deep. Your average Christian doesn't think much about anything, really. Your average Christian watches online videos or videos online, may go to a seminar as and when, or go to one of these celebrity churches as and when, but your average Christian doesn't spend much time in the Bible. Not really. Not like they did 100 or 150 years ago. And that kind of stayed with me, that statement. But again, from 3.6, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people. And I believe David wasn't scared. But he was worried, worried about Absalom. He wanted to protect Absalom. And yet Absalom was a wicked, horrendous, evil, despicable son. On one occasion, he decided to sleep with David's concubines in public, in broad daylight. He wanted people to see what he was capable of, contempt. And it's my belief that not only did Absalom underestimate his father, he didn't know his father. He didn't know him. I got an email a few days ago, a very sad email. A friend of the ministry has just discovered that their ex husband has remarried and is starting a new family this is what normally happens of course the first family is now persona non grata and they start all over again it was Pavarotti for many many years or traveling the world singing to princes prime ministers presidents popes kings and queens here and there you know it you name it he was all over the place Pavarotti made his name I guess worldwide back in 1990 at the world cup before he was just known in the opera circles in fact, one of my music tutors was a huge fan of uh, Luciani Pavarotti. Not one of my favourite uh, tenor singers, but he was famous enough to set his mark on the world stage. And he was flying all over the world, making millions of pounds, along with Domingo and Carreras, but sometimes solo. And his first family never saw him. Never saw him. Pavarotti was pressing the flesh, and then one day met a new woman, fell in love with this new woman, had a daughter with this new woman, all of a sudden Pavarotti is a full-time father. You can't pay him. You couldn't pay him to get out of his mansion in uh, Italy, probably New York, London, Beverly Hills, who knows where he ended up. But his first family never saw him, were very bitter that Pavarotti was nowhere around for them. All his kids missed out on graduation day, uh, joining college, or taking their first steps, or learning how to cycle a bike, or swim in a pool. You understand, of course, they missed out on time with their father, but his second marriage, or was it his third marriage, with his young daughter, second marriage, he thought the world of her, loved her to pieces. He knew all about her, she knew all about him, but his first family had no idea 
what he was all about. His kids couldn't speak about him. They didn't know him. And like I said, we got an email a few days ago, a very sad email. A friend of the ministry is going through, or still recovering from a very bitter divorce. They have a child together, and the husband has remarried. And I said uh, in my response, I hope he doesn't have any children, because he's already, he's already neglected his first child with his first wife, and he's the sort of guy that will do the same with his second. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know. But I thought this, that father, who's just remarried, has a son with his ex-wife, like I say. Doesn't know his son. His son doesn't know his father. You can't deal with that kind of a loss. You can't fill the void. I mean, a mother will love her child as much as she can, but she can't replace the father as well. It's impossible. A father can't be a mother as well as a father. A mother can't be a mother as well as a father. It's impossible. One more time, three, six. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. Ten thousand. That's in the UK, that would be Lassina. Ten thousand. Uh, two brigades. Two brigades. Uh, a battalion is about 600 men. I think 5,000 is a division. Yeah, two divisions. That's two divisions of British soldiers. It's quite a force, 10,000. I mean, if you were being tracked by 10 men in your town, that's quite a number, isn't it? 10 men who were out to get you, like when Paul was being tracked by, was it 40-plus men? Took an oath they wouldn't uh, eat until they'd found him and killed him. I think it was 40 men from memory. But 10,000? But of course, they have no idea what they are up against. David is a man of war, as would be his chief of staff, as would be his members his, uh, members of his own family. And if you were to lock horns with David, you would come off really badly. Set myself against me round about. Look at verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Keep your hand there and go to uh, Numbers. Numbers chapter 10, uh, Numbers chapter 10, Moses uh, would say something similar. Numbers chapter 10, look at verse 35. And it came to pass, when the ark was set forward, that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. I love that. When these guys got into an altercation, when these guys were being hunted, tracked down, what would they do? They would turn to the Lord every single time. One more time. 10.35. And it came to pass, when the ark set forward, that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, enemies of Israel, like Absalom and Co. And let them that hate thee flee before thee. That was the hope that Absalom would flee from David. He gave clear instructions to his chief of staff. Whatever you do, don't kill the boy. My beloved son, what would he say? Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom. Would to God, Absalom, you had survived. Would to God, I had died. I mean, he was crying like a baby over the loss of Absalom. He was an embarrassment. And Joab said to David, if you don't get back into the gates, nobody will be with you tonight, meaning there'll be no protection with you. You'll be vulnerable to an attack. And he rebuked David, uh, David who was forced back into the gate where business was done. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Go back to Psalm 3. So David, to be fair to him, was a good man, was a good man, was a godly man, was a saved man, more importantly. But he was a complex man. He had two natures, like we do, and he had the option to deal with his son. When Amon raped his half-sister, he was made aware of that. He knew everything about what went on in Israel, and he decided to do nothing about it. And of course, that really grated with Absalom. That's one of the reasons why Absalom decided to take on his father. 
And that's one of the biggest problems when it comes to being a parent, being a father. But of course, David had too many sons. I mean, 20 sons from four women, excluding the concubines, and one daughter who was raped by her half-brother. And this is one of the problems if you have a large family. This is one of the problems if you have children with more than one wife. I mean, if you think of Pavarotti again. He had children with his first wife, never around. They hated him for it. They felt neglected. They felt betrayed. And like I say, he met another woman, had a child with her. And he knew all about his daughter, daddy's girl. And she knew all about him. Daddy this, daddy that. Had a very close relationship. But the siblings, or his children, from his first marriage, felt they'd been betrayed. Mm. A couple get married, divorced. They come together. They bring children from previous relationships into the marriage. It's a recipe for disaster. Yes, it might be okay sometimes, but that's not how God wants it. Honour thy father and mother. And here Absalom isn't honouring his father, and his father isn't honouring his son. If you have a son who is running riots, and you do nothing about it, you are part of the problem. Parents can destroy their children. Uh, we always say this to people who contact us if they're going through difficult divorces. We always say this, whatever you do, don't rubbish your ex, whether it's your ex-husband or your ex-wife. Speak positive. Even if it's painful, even if you feel aggrieved, even if you feel uh, stressed about it, don't allow yourself to be negative. Because if you are negative, you will destroy your child. And what do these people do? They start to fight, and the kid becomes a pawn. The kid becomes a tool, a weapon. You won't see your father this weekend if you don't behave yourself, or you won't see your mother this weekend if you don't behave yourself. And the child is in the middle of a tug of war. This story I was told a few days ago, or an account about this nursery, kindergarten. I mean, you've got kids there, not even uh, six months old, just dumped, full-time care. Mother's working, making plenty of money. Father's working, making plenty of money. The children want to be loved, taken care of. The children want to be carried, cuddled, caressed. Parents know where to be found. Some of these parents are so wealthy, they've got au pairs, nannies. Why have children? Why have children if you're not going to look after them? Or why have a child and rush back to work? I think it was uh, Sarkozy, President of France, maybe 10 years ago or so, hired a woman to be in his cabinet, and she had a child, and she had it on a Friday, and she was back to work on a Monday. <laughs> I mean, why have a child? Why bother? And she said, I can't wait to get back to work. I want a career. I want a child. You can't have both. She missed the buzz of politics, she said. Yeah, missed the buzz of politics. And, of course, her child was dumped in full-time care with nannies, au pairs. I'll tell you something, when those kids grow up, they won't thank you for it. It was Kiri Tikawana, I think so you pronounce her name, the uh, New Zealand opera singer who was performing in London back in the 1990s. All these opera stories this morning. <laughs> uh, and uh, she was performing maybe at uh, the Albert Hall, Festival Halls, I can't remember where it was. Opera House. Opera House, who cares? And she was performing, and she's still going to this day, and uh, she had a daughter, and her daughter was burning up with a fever, terrible fever, and she was like three hours from going on stage, and they said, uh, Kiri, she's now a dame, Dame Kiri, they said, Kiri, Miss Kiri, Miss Takawana, is that how you pronounce her name? Takawana, yeah. Takawana, strange name. Maori. Maori. She got onto her doctor and said, uh, my daughter is burning up with a fever, it was a terrible fever apparently. Doctor was summoned to her private residence in London. Could be the Savoy, the Dorchester, who knows. And he said to her, Miss Tikawana, uh, your daughter is very ill, has a very high fever, 104. She's really uh, poorly. We may have to take her to hospital. Silence for 30 seconds. Kiri is looking at her aide 
her secretary and her secretary is looking at her. The manager is present as well. And she said, I've got a problem. I'm on stage in two hours' time. This poor child is burning up in her bed. No more than 10, 11, 12. She's a child. And uh, she waited till 30 minutes before she was due to leave to go to perform, before she made up her mind. And in the end, she left her child sick in her bed mm. with a doctor presence, au pair presence, other people present. She went to the concert hall, got on stage, performed to a packed audience. And what she said was basically that my audience come first. The show must go on. The show must go on. Yep. And she went on stage, got a standing ovation. Thankfully for her, the daughter's fever broke. And by the time she got back to the daughter's store, the Savoy, her daughter was fine. But imagine if she had died. Or imagine she'd been rushed to a London hospital because mother was too busy on stage. You can't have the best of both worlds. Your kids are going to uh, be very upset about it, resentful. And some of you career women are going to pay a huge price for choosing your careers over your children. Psalm 3-7, Arise, O Lord, David speaking. But it could be you, it could be I, it could be Wormbrand, it could be Anne Askew. She would say again, I've heard that God made man, but that man can make God. I have not heard. And they said, how dare you say that, you blasphemer? And of course, they would, uh, they would almost crucify her in a roundabout way. They would murder her, of course. Like how Christ was crucified, they would call him a blasphemer. He called himself the Son of God, Matthew 27. Last week we looked at it. If he's the son of God, come down from the cross. Let's see if his father will save him. Blasphemy, mocking him. Thieves on the cross were, were laughing at him. And yet one was listening very carefully. One was thinking to himself, I've seen this guy in action. I've seen him all over Jerusalem. I've seen him all over Galilee. I've seen him all over Nazareth. I've seen him raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. I've seen this guy up close and personal. This guy's a real deal. I've seen this guy feed thousands of people, never ask for money, never ask for donation, never ask for boats to be sold gold coins to be sold. It was Hank Hanegraaff who made that disgraceful statement. If you have any cougarans, if you have any uh, private boats, if you have any private apartments, just sell those and give them to our ministry. Hank Hanegraaff, another one. Nobody in the lines waiting to replace him. All these famous people we've spoken about this morning, they all come and they go. But my point is this, they are fathers, they are sons. They are sons, they are fathers. And if you take the time to analyze, profile some of these people, it's not as clear as you think. It's not as rosy as you think. Rutman Jr. killed himself. Terrible story. Killed himself. Killed his own sons. Two generations. Wiped out just like that. Peter Rutman Jr. Could have gone into the ministry. All his life he's around preachers. All of Absalom's life he's around King David. All of Absalom's life he's around kings from other countries. Visiting his father. Queens. Princes. Princesses. His whole life. He's around royalty. He's seen the good and the greats if you will. And he wants to be a part of the action. But he's got a problem. Solomon is the heir apparent. Solomon is the king in waiting. Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Keep your hand there and go to First Kings. First Kings. This term, uh, break the bones uh, or uh, smite the enemies upon the cheekbone break the teeth of the ungodly and of course Christ would die for the ungodly he would die for those that would deny him Second Peter 2 1 read it sometime but this term is figurative language uh, and yet in 1st Kings uh, 1st Kings 22 and also Matthew chapter 5 it could be taken literally 
Let's begin in First Kings 22. First Kings uh, 22. Look at verse 24. But Zedekiah, the son of Kaniah, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way? When the Spirit of the Lord, for me to speak unto thee. That would be literal, of course. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. And almost going into Matthew 8, strictly speaking, is the kingdom of heaven, the millennial reign. Uh, we don't want to take these passages from Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, Matthew 8, and put them on the church age. If you do, you fall into the trap of lordship salvation. But we can take application, like spiritual application. And uh, like I said a few weeks ago, there are four ways to read the Bible. Prophetical, spiritual, doctrinal, historical. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 38, Jesus speaking. You have heard that, it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Old Testament of course. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That can be literal. Now Wernbrand will turn the other cheek, and Askew will turn the other cheek. Eric Little, while he was being detained by the Japanese in China during World War II, would turn the other cheek, and there'll be many, many, many over the years that have done just that. You should turn the other cheek. Not easy, of course. We've done street work, and we do street work, and we've done it for over 20 years now. Uh, go back to Psalm chapter 3, or Psalm 3, I should say, Psalm 3, and people come up to us, and sometimes they want to fight, mm -hmm. sometimes they want an altercation, uh, sometimes they want a good shouting match. And uh, we have to control ourselves. I won't speak for Patrick, but I'll speak for myself. It's really tough sometimes uh, because the old nature wants to kick in. The old nature wants to get into a good punch-up, a good shouting match. But of course, that doesn't honour anyone. The world walk by, they see a preacher on the street getting into an old occasion, getting into a shouting match with a passerby. It looks awful. Mm. It looks awful. It doesn't honour anyone. It doesn't please anyone. It uh, robs God of his glory and it puts us in a very bad light. Uh, Psalm 3.8, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Selah or Selah can mean Amen, Hallelujah, or Praise the Lord. But the main purpose of all of this would be that salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Keep your hand there and go to John chapter 1. In John chapter 4, Jesus would say that salvation is of the Jews. It's always very sad when a professing Christian attacks the Jews. Luther was an anti-Semite. And it's always interesting if you profile some of the reformers. Luther, like I say, was an anti-Semite. Calvin was a murderer. John Knox would marry a teenager. Arthur Pink would die a recluse in the Hebrides in Scotland. Wormbrand was a charismatic Pentecostal for memory. In fact, Barry Smith told the story of one occasion that Wormbrand was driving through Romania and uh, he had an angel sitting on the end of his car giving him directions. Mm. Wormbrand... Yeah, he was escaping. Wormbrand was a charismatic, as was Barry Smith. And we're not charismatics at this ministry. We're not Calvinists at this ministry either. But we do appreciate when somebody who professes the name of Christ suffers and pays a huge price for it. Honour to whom honour is due. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own, Jesus of course, and his own being the Jews. And his own received him not. Free will of course. Be like Absalom. He could have received the king, being David, but he wouldn't. But as many as received him, Jew and Gentile, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Going back to 
Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Adam was called a son of God. Israel is called uh, God's firstborn. Jesus Christ is God's only begotten son. You knew Bibles make a real mess of this. The NASV says that Jesus Christ is the only begotten God. Not the only begotten son of God. The only begotten God. You've got two gods? Ridiculous. But as many as received him, no works involved. No baptism, no church membership, no tithing, no nothing. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. We are spiritual sons of God, not physical sons of God, obviously. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The new birth, the source of the new birth, comes from God. Go back to Psalm 3. So, the context of Psalm 3, as we wrap this message up, deals with God's foes being our foes, or our foes are God's foes, our friends are God's friends, our enemies are God's enemies. But when David was really pushed, he would call on the name of the Lord, and you should call on the name of the Lord, and if you call on the name of the Lord, he will turn to you, he will receive you. Selah, sailor can be pronounced both ways, could partly be in reference to uh, the Jew in the tribulation, finding uh, safety and solace in Petra, modern-day jo- uh, modern Jordan. But ultimately, the book of Psalms covers a subject of praise and thanksgiving. It's an anthem of worship for the Lord. And uh, one final thought, so I'll just read verse 8 again. Salvation, physical and spiritual. David wants physical coverage. He wants physical deliverance. He wants his son to be spared. He wants his son's men to be spared. But his son was guilty of treachery. His son was guilty of treason. His son was filled with jealousy and insanity and hatred. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. In the context of the children of Israel, a sealer. In fact, I'll give you two more quick references. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. I've been thinking about Absalom and David for the last couple of weeks now in preparation for preaching uh, this morning's message. Uh, And the more I read, the more I find... Uh, some really interesting things about uh, these two Old Testament uh, people. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 helps us to understand what was behind Absalom's uh, treachery. Uh, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Pick it up in verse uh, 13. For thou hast said in thine heart. That's where it all begins, in your heart. For thou hast said in thine hearts, I will ascend into heaven. This is about the devil. Of course, Absalom is a type of the devil. Absalom is a type of the Antichrist. For thou hast said in thine hearts, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit down also upon the mounts of the congregation in the sides of the north. Satan saw everything. He was the anointed cherub that covereth. And he got too big for his boots, like Absalom, like many of these people that we've spoken about this morning. Some have tried to overthrow their fathers, but you can't always live up to your father's uh, legacy. It's not possible. And sometimes people come forward and they try to follow in their mother's footsteps or their father's footsteps. And nearly every single time, it doesn't work. I can't think of any child, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of any famous child who's come from famous parents, who's got famous parents, who has been able to outdo their parents has gone on to do greater things than their parents. It doesn't work. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How are they cast down? How are they cut down to the ground which does weaken the nations? But 13 is what I'm looking at. Verse 13. For thou hast said in thine hearts, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I will do this. I will do that. I want this. I want that. Me, 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 me. And that's the problem, isn't it? Absalom wanted to be like David. He wanted to be the king that never was. I'll give you one more. Go to Matthew chapter 7 and we will close. Absalom not only didn't know his father, and his father didn't, didn't know him, but Absalom is a great picture of a sinner that doesn't know the king of kings and wants to try and uh, make it his own way. And it's going to end in absolute disaster. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. Look at 22. Many, not some, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Not just calling him Lord once. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So Absalom's fate is sealed. Jealousy would destroy him. Insanity, hatred would destroy him. He would follow the lead of the devil, Isaiah 14. The devil wanted to overthrow God Almighty. Absalom wanted to overthrow Israel's king. In type, Absalom is a great picture of a lost sinner trying to reach the king his own way through force, through violence, through works, basically, a bit like Cain, trying to uh, reach heaven via uh, his own way, by killing his own brother. But the real point of all this is the sadness that Absalom didn't know his father, his father didn't know him, and David is partly to blame for that. And uh, like I said also a while ago, Absalom was also a pervert, a sex pervert, would have concubines, would have sex with David's concubines in public. Why you ask? Because he was a deviant. He was despicable, depraved, hated his father, and it all goes it all goes back to how the parents raised their children. If your kids are no good, the chances are not always, but the chances are if your kids are no good, it's partly your fault. Never around like Pavarotti, or maybe you are maybe you are a famous preacher, always preaching to other people always trying to fix other people's problems, fix other families' problems, and yet never around for your own. And uh, every so often it turns sour. It would be Oral Roberts, whose own son killed himself with a gun. And Oral Roberts, the old apostate, was in denial. And he would say, it's okay, something good will come out of this. Nothing good came out of it. So that's the story, the sad story of Absalom. Could have gained a lot more, could have been a great man of God, could have gone down in history as one of the best, one of the greatest, but he was destroyed through covetousness, basically. And David could have dealt with him, should have dealt with him a lot, eat a lot earlier on over the rape of David's daughter. But he was a weak father when it came to his own children. And we can learn an awful lot from some of the greats in scripture.